Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuele Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Today, we are going into the living labs of climate change. And we are doing it with an expat as a change maker that is at the forefront of the fight of climate change. I want to welcome the director of the Biosecurity Center at the University of West Indies, Kirk Douglas. Thank you, Kirk, for being with us. Thank you too, Samuel. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kirk. So why the Caribbean? Why the Living Lab? Can you explain us the impact and what is the context in the Caribbean and the challenges you are facing during the context of climate change? Well, thank you very much, Samuel. Well, as you may be aware, the Caribbean is one of the most vulnerable regions within the world. We are our collection of smaller and developing states, but as we like to refer to ourselves as large ocean states, we adopt that description because primarily most of the Caribbean countries, the largest proportion of the territory is really um, ocean. And so we definitely have to look at and examine the impact of climate change on the ocean and also on the land as well. And given the small landmass that we have, there are critical issues that are seen and felt more than you would in perhaps larger um, regions. And so that's why we like to view the Caribbean as more or less living labs for climate change. That is really the importance of diversity and really seeing the context and also where the impact is felt. Can you explain a bit more what are the impacts and the risk that you are facing and especially that your center is focusing on? Well, I would say the areas of focus for the Center for Biosecurity Studies at the University of the West Indies Capital Campus, the areas are one, biosecurity and trade, two, climate change and its impacts, and third, the blue economy or maritime issues, because these are critical to the ecosystems of the Caribbean. And to give you an idea, of how we view biosecurity. We've redefined the the way how we view. Traditionally, biosecurity is seen as the the often, the most common example is, for instance, with hazmat suits, infectious diseases, the movement of pests and pathogens across borders. But we've had to expand that view because of the multiple vulnerabilities that are present within the Caribbean. And so we've redefined biosecurity as the science and practice of safeguarding lives and livelihoods. And this is done through the system, uh, reducing systematic vulnerabilities to biological ecosystems. And so we have a number of of threats to lives and livelihoods in the Caribbean. COVID-19 is one, but we have perennial threats of uh, severe weather systems, hurricanes, on which we are a few months away from the hurricane season, which traditionally begins in June and extends down into November. Um, we have issues with heat waves as well, intense 
uh, periods of heat. Um, we also have dust storm activities where we have dust coming from the Sahara Desert and um, impacting on health and also climate within the Caribbean as well. We also have issues with re in terms of sea level rises. We have coral bleaching. And as you know, coral reefs uh, protect your coastline from um, storm surges and also from the wave activity on your coastline. And so we are in a very vulnerable geographic location. And so it actually provides a real interesting perspective on climate change because those marginal effects of climate change are incrementally felt within the Caribbean. This is, is an eye opener because what is happening there, it is something that it will happen in the next few years if we are not acting. And you are at the forefront and you are already suffering this critical vulnerability. Which are the initiatives you are doing to tackle and to respond to such emergencies in your vulnerable context? Well, so we've embarked on a number of initiatives at the center to try to build out a research program and also a work plan um, for the delivery of professional short courses and also uh, research that we can then inform policy and take action uh, within the Caribbean. And we have three such initiatives. The first, which was launched in February, was the Caribbean Wildlife Initiative. And we sought to start with this because of the proximity of this uh, wildlife activity, in particular, illegal wildlife trade and the current COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And we also knew that there was a real issue with respect to Caribbean wildlife because of our island um, makeup. We have a high level of species endemism, which simply means that there are species of animals and plants here on these islands that are found no other place on the globe. And this is attractive to a number of persons who are seeking rare and very attractive species, whether it be plants or animals. And therefore, they are targeted by illegal wildlife traders to facilitate the acquisition of finances. And so there was a report submitted by the World Wildlife Fund 2020 Living Report. And that stated that a 94% population decline was observed between 1970 and 2016. So this is a precipitous drop in the population levels of wildlife in the Caribbean. And given our small nature, this creates a problem with maintaining um, our ecosystems, which are very fragile and um, such exogenous shocks from, for instance, illegal wildlife trade, along with the climate change impacts of severe storms or earthquakes or even volcanic activity, because all of these um, threats are present in the Caribbean. Um, just about two weeks ago, we had an eruption on a neighboring island of St. Vincent that impacted on Barbados. We have volcanic ash that traveled from St. Vincent to Barbados and that ash was deposited and that caused a number of issues operationally for Barbados. It 
caused the airport to be closed. It also caused businesses to be closed. And this is all layered on top of the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So this created some real concern and some real challenges for the government. That is terrible. 94% is a staggering number. It is. Especially for such a small ecosystem like Barbados and the other Caribbean. So, you know, that is a tremendous loss. How do you enforce? How do you work with the government? Which are the steps to stop this uh, illegal wildlife trade, which is also a threat for the communities as well? Yes, it is a public health threat. Um, It is also a threat to agriculture as well, because you can have the movement of pests and pathogens that can have a negative impact on agriculture, um, leading to diseases in animals. We've tried to adopt an approach where we are trying to raise the level of awareness because the initiative is really about improving the relationship between Caribbean people and Caribbean wildlife because the way you treat something is how you value it. The higher you value something, the better you would treat it. And so therefore we are trying to then educate and raise a level of awareness as it relates to wildlife, that they're not just you know, things that you see or animals that you just see roaming around. They have intrinsic value, they play a role in uh, maintaining the ecosystem that makes our lives a whole lot better. You have animals that are you know, seed dispersers, they have, they're also pollinators, and so when these animals are no longer present in your ecosystem, there, there are you know, severe consequences that you will have to suffer. And so you have to view it from not only you know, that they're just there and you don't see the worth or the need for them, but they actually play a very critical role. And so we look at the, reg- the regulatory framework and look at the legislative framework. So we've been working very hard on a review of Caribbean wildlife legislation. We just finished the first checklist after reviewing the wildlife laws from around the Caribbean that we will be able to then present to CARICOM, which is the Caribbean community, and it's the highest um, political Caribbean organization in the region. And that will help to facilitate the dispersal of that information to the key and relevant uh, parliamentarians and key decision makers within the Caribbean. So after we've done that, then we want to know, engage these different stakeholders to you know, bring that level of awareness to the people who are drafting the legislation or that will be um, involved in the drafting process of the legislation. So we've taken that approach and we're also going to develop a, a wildlife legal brief. And that legal brief seeks to add more detail but in a concise manner to be able to communicate to the key decision makers and lawmakers around the Caribbean of what are the key important points um, why this legislation has to be has to be changed. I'll give you an even clear example. So within the Caribbean, particularly there are two hot spots currently in the Caribbean for illegal wildlife trade. And this is um, highlighted in um, both local, regional, and international news media, um, the movement of birds, wild birds, from Trinidad and Tobago, and also from Guyana. Within the space of one month, three persons were apprehended at um, the JFK airport in New York. Um, and 
this frequency has not been observed previously. And um, this is a reason for concern because the, the cost of one bird um, is estimated at one uh, 5,000 US dollars. And persons are actually caught within their possession with birds um, numbering from 30 to even as high as, as 50 birds. So if you do the mathematics, you can see that the estimated value of these birds are really far exceed the risk of what they will be suffering. These three individuals, each of them were charged a $300 US fine and they were sent back to Guyana. So if you look at the risk to reward, what you're looking at is that they are risking having to pay $300 US as a fine, not no imprisonment, just a return flight back home. And so they are willing to risk if you have a shipment of 50 birds, that is almost what, 20, 250,000 US dollars, you will be actually getting in terms of the value of the birds. So when they look and they weigh those pros and cons, then you, know, you can see why this trade would be something that would be attractive, especially you know, with COVID-19 and the fact that you know, people are economically strained and they're looking for avenues on which they can acquire money. Because when you look at illegal wildlife trade, the perspective within the Caribbean is that it is not at the level on the trade of narcotics. So what we are trying to advocate for is the elevation of illegal wildlife trade to a serious crime, to the same level of narcotics crime, and at the judicial and the legal aspect that the lawyers and also the judges, because if a judge is hearing the case of something like this, he is not going to treat it with the same level of rigor than he would for someone who is trafficking hard narcotics. That is our aim to try to change that perspective because that's the only way you're going to build the level of deterrence within the systems to try to de deter people from entering into these activities. That's what we're trying to do. That is very interesting. That is a, let us say, holistic approach from the legislator, from the advocacy, also at the grass, the judiciary, and also the enforcer. And let me say, you know, the rate of return from 300, and there is $300 to 150000 that is a real, uh, I think, a loophole uh, in the legislation that needs to be sealed. Correct. What about the second initiative that is linked with the biosecurity center? Okay, so for the second initiative, we look to see how we could pair um, the circular bioeconomy um, with biosecurity. And so we adopted an initiative entitled the Waste Not Want Not Initiative. And as I mentioned, this seeks to look at what resources you have currently within your country and your region and see how you can really fully uh, maximize the, the potential that lies within those resources. And we've identified waste as a resource. We have to change the perspective people have of waste to see it not as something totally detrimental and negative, but also as something that is an economic asset. And once you can leverage the um, economic potential in it, then you can actually drive your economic growth, and at the same time, protect your environment. For instance, to give you an example, if in the Caribbean and within tropical 
countries, you have a problem because you have you know, high levels of rainfall and you have overgrown vegetation. And this layered on top of waste management issues, then you have sanitation problems. And this poor sanitation can give rise to the proliferation of vermin, such as rats and mice. And also within the Caribbean context, we have mosquitoes as well that transmit dengue, that transmit Zika and chikungunya. Um, so the way to do that would be to obviously to keep your um, surroundings clean and to have proper waste management. But you also have on top of this, the challenge of uh, limited economic resources. So we thought that, well, how would we actually try to solve this? We know where we want to go, but how do we get? And one of the uh, proposals that we are suggesting is that we look to um, convert the biomass waste into biogas. And that would be to generate a green renewable energy source that can be used for cooking. And you can sell that in replacement of natural LPG, the liquid petroleum gas. Also, you can also convert the biogas into green electricity, also renewable energy. And that could also be a source for renewable energy. As you do your cleanup exercise, you will take that biomass that is generated from the cleanup exercise. You will conduct a biodigestion, anaerobic biodigestion, to produce the biogas. And so that waste is now a, a feed input into your process to generate a commodity that you can sell to generate revenue that can then feed back into the loop to then you know, fund your cleanup programs. So therefore you have a circular program that is cleaning your environment and at the same time also reducing the greenhouse gas emissions into your environment. And that then allows you to have a sustainable approach to not only the climate health, but public health as well. It is a fascinating perspective. I think also here from a challenge to a resource and especially taking the context and the challenges, I think there you are providing a solution. I have seen also that you have launched a third initiative just last week about air pollution. You are really a change maker and you are trying all your best to solve the issues. What is about the air pollution and why it's so crucial in the Caribbean context? In the Caribbean, the countries are all signatories to the Paris Climate Court, which we have agreed to our national determined contributions. And these are the levels of greenhouse gas emissions that a country can have to release into the environment. So particularly important in that conversation is release of carbon dioxide into the environment along with other gases that can contribute to global warming. And therefore, air pollution then is walking hand in hand with any initiative, any drive within the country to effect um, the reduction of global warming in terms of the impact of the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. Um, the only way to, to achieve that would be to have a holistic approach and definitely air pollution plays a major role in that. Coupled with that, um, we, as I would have mentioned, we have a number of sources of air pollution within the Caribbean. Um, the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, has estimated that 7 million people across the globe die every year due to air pollution. 
And that gives you a staggering statistic that shows you the impact of air pollution on, on human health in the Caribbean. So you have climate health on one hand with the release of greenhouse gases, and then you have also the health of your citizens that is at risk because of um, inadequate re regulatory framework and also legislation. So we thought it very important to try to see how we can remedy that. So we've tried to launch our initiative that was done um, last Thursday and it was well received. And we're hoping to have a number of other webinars with more focus on strategic um, issues. So this first webinar, which will be available soon on YouTube, targeted the monitoring programs um, from across various Caribbean countries. We looked at Barbados, we looked at Guyana, and also Trinidad and Tobago, and tried to identify as well what are the gaps, what are the, the issues that we need to cover to make a more comprehensive program. But this air pollution program, or initiative rather, also ties into the Waste Not, Want Not initiative. Because if you want to reduce the level of air pollution or air pollutants from vehicular exhaust to um, you know, industrial emissions, um, you have also emissions coming in from cruise ships, coming in from um, airlines. You have to look at your choice of fuel. Also too, in terms of energy, our energy is primarily powered by diesel, the lone supplier of electricity on the island. Though there's a really huge push, there's an energy policy that is existing from 2019 to 2030, the Barbados Renewable Energy Program. And this is trying to effectively make Barbados 100% fueled by renewable energy by the year 2030. So if you want to reduce your greenhouse gas emissions, then you have to change your source of fuel and your source of electricity. So it is all interwoven together. We've tried to separate them so that we can have more detailed focus, but they're all complementary. And by also reducing the impact on climate, you're gonna also help in terms of your wildlife. And if you don't tackle your wildlife, then this can happen. The problem with your wildlife, you will have an issue with your ecosystems, which will also have an issue with your um, climate and um, your ecosystem health in general across the region. So we've tried to design these initiatives to be complementary because really in life, all of these things intersect. Within science, we try to compartmentalize and we try to have um, you know, specific focus, but in reality, these things all intercalate, they all uh, intersect. And we have to find the areas where these nexus the nexus of all of this occurs and try to then develop solutions that will not only solve solutions in one area, but that can be complementary to help in other areas. Therefore, you are more effective and efficient because when you then invest your very limited financial resources, you want to get the best bang for your buck as you can. So if you can find and fund something that's going to have impact in multiple areas, then you would only be spending that specific quantity of financing that will then redound 
a lot more benefits than you would if you try to do a solution in one specific area. I love your passion. You put yourself at a difficult task. It's really a challenging environment, constraint on resources, and you are really spearheading three wonderful and incredible and holistic initiatives for the the well-being of the Caribbean ecosystem and I think for the world because if you succeed, we will all succeed. Let me ask you, what was the, the biggest challenge that you have faced uh, within uh, now as a director of the Biosecurity Center? I mean, there are several challenges, uh, but one thing I think we as Caribbean people pride ourselves on and in is resilience and being able to be impacted, but not to let those impacts STEMI or to retard our growth. And that is how I view the center. And that's how we have to be because we will be inundated by several challenges and impacts. And that is just the nature of the Caribbean, whether it be hurricanes, whether it be volcanoes erupting, whether it be earthquakes, this is really our way of life. And so for us, being resilient is not an option. It has to be you know, part of your DNA. And um, though there are many challenges, I see also a window for several opportunities because of our small size, we can actually impact change. And that's why I started that. I believe that the Caribbean islands are of living labs that we can actually be the at the forefront of the climate change conversation because we would then be the major beneficiaries of any climate change action that takes place because we are especially vulnerable and um, we want to then preserve our homes where we've grown up where we you know have so many members you don't want it to all be destroyed due to the neglect or you know harmful activities by, by humans that is very inspiring we are it but we are resilient and we continue. I think even history has taught you a lot. Also, the Caribbean area has suffered a lot historically. And I think that is where you have um, really built up. And you are a leader that's really trying to solve the issues that they are not Caribbean or Barbados issues, but they are planetarian issues. I think you could summarize it in just a very brief statement. If you can take it, you can make it. Wonderful. I think that is the, the summarize the episode and really the spirit, resilience and strength. I really admire you and the work you are doing. It is incredible. Which is the message you want to leave to the audience? A call for action to our diverse audience of the podcast. This has been spearheaded by some of the leaders from the Caribbean, particularly the Prime Minister of Barbados, where we are trying to change the conversation um, at a global level as it relates to vulnerability and the access to funding, because as much as we have these nice ideas, we definitely do need the funding to actually make these ideas a reality. And so there's a lot of emphasis um, being placed now on vulnerability indexes and why it is important for this metric to be included in terms of the distribution of financing for national development. And um, the problem that we face within the Caribbean, for instance, example, Barbados, we are World Bank standards. We are what you would consider an upper, our mid to upper class country. 
and therefore we do not have access to certain financing because of our status. But that does not reduce our vulnerability because geographically where we are placed, we are still just as vulnerable as we were. Um, yes, we may, may have some infrastructural changes and additions that may help, but the fact is, is that you know we still are as vulnerable or even more vulnerable than we were with relating to climate change because you know the G20 or you know the higher or more developed countries, they are the greatest polluters in terms of planetary health. But we uh, face the greatest challenges here in the Caribbean and not only the Caribbean, but other small island developing states or as we say, big ocean states as well. So it is very imperative that this concept of vulnerability and the vulnerability index really takes um, center place with respect to world financing and the financing of the economic development of countries. I think that is crucial. It also takes the ethical angle. Why you have to pay for somebody that has polluted elsewhere. You are paying for somebody else's mistakes. I think this vulnerability index that you have mentioned should be ingrained because we need to build a more equal world, a more, let me say, also generous world and also a world that where we embrace togetherness rather than, you know, dumping our problem somewhere else. And the fact that you are living in such a vulnerable area show us, I think, the, also the limits of some economic models and the need also to, for a change in perspective to really achieve the sustainability and the SDG objectives. Most definitely. That is where I think the greatest impact for call of action can actually have for the Caribbean and, and other regions such as the Caribbean, where that level of funding and financing for economic development occurs. Because without that, this will just be a top shop and we will be living it still every single day. And so we pride ourselves on resilience. We still need to take action to continue to not only survive, but we also want to thrive as well. This is inspiring, Kirk. I, I really admire your work, your braveness, and the fact that you are a real change maker. Not in the spotlights, but really day by day. I am humbled to have the opportunity to have you, and I would like also maybe to launch this, to, to book you for a next episode to see where you have taken, maybe in one year, and see how the center is going. What I would like to add before I go to is that even though the team that we have at the center is really small, what we've had to yes. do, um, partner and collaborate with persons from around mm. the region. And that has been very crucial in terms of determining you know, the momentum that we have at the end of the day, also determine the success that we will achieve because mm. this will not be the, due mm. to the efforts of one or two or three singular persons, but this will be the collective understanding, the appreciation, mm. and also the input and effort from people across the region. And the response that I've gotten so far, we've received so far, has been very encouraging. For instance, with the Wildlife Initiative, to be able to come together to do the legislative review. There were people who are working pro bono on this initiative, so they have their own jobs, but they're Caribbean at the heart of it, and they actually want to see this, they share the vision, and so they want to see this happen. And that shows you the 
the level of camaraderie around the region and also the unity that exists in and amongst professionals across the region. We've worked also with the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime and also with CITES as well on that particular initiative. And they worked really hard with us to get the checklist um, completed. And so we will be disseminating that hopefully this week. And then we will turn our attention to developing the Caribbean wildlife brief. And I'm sure that around the region as well, this same sentiment is shared amongst other persons in the different sectors in climate change, in maritime affairs, in the blue economy, all around. Everyone is really inspired to, to actually make change um, across the Caribbean. And so by tapping into that energy, I think then we will definitely be successful in achieving our goals. So that's what I'm hopeful of. And um, I'm really thankful for it as well. No, thank you, Kirk. You know, it's a real choral effort. You know, it's like a, the small lilliputs they put together, they can overcome the, the giants. <laughs> correct, correct. That's, that's the, that's the um, yeah, whole objective. Because it's great that Barbados is at the forefront. And although now you, with COVID and everything, you lost a lot of revenue, we hope now also the, the economy can come back and... I hope also to visit Barbados one day as we have the possibility. <laughs> we would gladly have you, Samuel. So just let me know yeah. when you plan and I will have roll out the roll. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but that will be wonderful. Also, if you want to come to Kenya, we can go and see, you know, also the challenges. And you'll be surprised, a lot of challenges are the same. And We also have uh, an advisory committee here at the Center for Biosecurity Studies. And one of the members of the advisory committee is from Kenya, actually. Um, so it's quite mm. interesting. Ah, wonderful. So you see that there is uh, the region and the problems are planetarian. So, but I'm really happy. Yes, well, thank you very much, Samuel. I think the, your program is a very enlightening and much needed podcast as it disseminates the information from all across the globe, inspiring and also educating um, listeners and viewers from around the world. So I really thank you on behalf of the Center for Biosecurity Studies at the University of West Indies for giving us the opportunity to be a part of your program. Thank you so much. Eh? Wonderful. A pleasure. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful day. It has been amazing. Kirk, you are doing a, an amazing job. Are you better off after this wonderful episode? In the next one, we will talk about organic waste and an innovative solution to tackle this problem. Stay tuned.